21 World Championship medal. She is the greatest of all time. You just can't say it enough. Wow. Women's singles champion, Serena Williams. Through large, Williams into Bird in the corner. You bet. She's done it again. Sue Bird. You're listening to All In a woman's sports podcast on WFUV Sports. Well, it's a fun episode today. I think I can just go ahead and start out with that. Welcome into All In. I'm Julia Moss, joined with James Burley and Andy Rodriguez, and we are going to talk soccer this entire episode, and for good reason, because Gotham FC wins the NWSL championship. Oh my goodness. I am so pumped. I mean, it was just so unexpected. I know probably within the team, like everyone believed in themselves, but when you look at the way what Gotham FC had to go through, they had, I think they had the hardest path to the championship of any team. They had to beat North Carolina. Then they had to beat Portland. And then the championship, OL Reign, and defeated them as well. And not without controversy, which we'll get into in a little bit. But first, I know I am just over the moon. We talked before the show about how this is the first team that I am a fan of that doesn't represent a whole country. Like we talk, we talk about the U.S. Women's National Team, but but a location-specific team. This is the first one that I am a fan of that has ever won a championship. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this feeling because it's never happened to me before. I'm very excited. But James, we'll start with you and then go to Andy. Whoa. You know, what are your feelings about this? I mean, first of all, shout out New York and shout out, more importantly, more importantly, New Jersey. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Get you out. got your championship. You earned it, and they had to run the gauntlet, like you said. Tough, tough path to get there. Um, there was so much confidence about this team going into the playoffs, knowing that they would be on the road for every match that they had, knowing that it would take a win on the road against the North Carolina Courage, who they played strong games against all year. But then you take Portland, who I thought <laughs> were the favorite to win the whole thing, and they kind of they kind of outplayed Portland. That was there was controversy in that game. Yeah. Of course, we 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 talked about that, and then. Again, they just the big time players came up in big moments uh, when they needed to, and we're going to talk about you know the growth of the club, you know from the sky blue days where players were, you know, uh, in training facilities that the windows were broken in and and they didn't no have running hot water, no <laughs> running water. They had to shower in, in, in trash cans, and, <laughs> and 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 then now they're champions a year removed from finishing bottom of the table. Like, we're going to talk about all that, but. The game itself, the playoff run itself, was so inspiring and so very Gotham to its core <laughs> in that they clawed their way through everything, and that's exactly how they went through the season. They spent most of the season above the playoff line, which not a lot of people expected, but then you look at the the, the, the players on this team and the spine that they returned. Ali Krieger was so huge all year long, and people only really gave her credit because they were like, oh, it's her final game. Uh, she she didn't get enough looks for how good she was throughout the year. Agreed. Christy Mewis yeah. is an X factor in the midfield. Uh, Lynn Williams, Esther Gonzalez, and in the final, Midge Purse showed up. Uh, and f- for the year that Midge Purse had missing out on the World Cup team and then coming alive and NWSL uh, Cup MVP, so deserved, so inspiring, and. Yeah, of course, of course, Neely had to go back in, in, in goal again, too, because you couldn't end the season without another uh, player going into the net. 
Um, a shocking finish to the game, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It was such a spectacle, and they did it in dramatic New York, New Jersey fashion. And they're champions, and they deserve all they deserve all the credit in the world. It was absolutely spectacular to watch. So exciting! <laughs> that final had pretty much was, everything you wish a final. The very had. end, I was. Oh my! I've never like sweated more watching. Yeah, yeah that was crazy. Yeah, it, it was just. Like, what else could you ask for? The story itself is insane. You mentioned mm-hmm. bottom of the table last year. Even this year, like, they barely made it to playoffs, tying for the last, for the last spot. The mm-hmm. Yeah, like, they only made it through on goal difference. No one expected them to be here. And they do that, and even the final itself is dramatic. You have everything, injuries, stoppage time, red card, mid like, outfield player going in goalie. Ridiculous. You rarely see that in the sport in general. So to have that happen with the teams such as Gotham, where like you already have the underdog factor, and then obviously here love New York. So to have a New York team win something, oh my gosh! I thought I wouldn't see it in my lifetime. So, so yeah, it's it's a great great feeling. I just want to say I was in Miami with the women's basketball team because I was broadcasting a game the next day, and I was in the the meeting room because like in every hotel they have a meeting room where they have like the meals and stuff and I was in there with some of the coaching staff and lucky and luckily enough I was with two of the members of the coaching staff uh Ali Keller and then the director of admin Christy and you know they both luckily follow soccer as well so they were watching me like in shambles on the side and like they weren't watching the game but they were watching me watch it on my computer <laughs> and they were like what could possibly be happening in this game to like warrant this reaction? I'm like, you guys don't understand. Like, there's a midfielder, Neely yeah. Martin is going in goal right now for the second time this for season. For the second time this <laughs> season, and it's like in ten minutes of extra time. It was ninety plus seven when Mandy Hot received her red card. Like, you just can't. It's the most entertaining league in the world because things like the fact you can point to this situation happening just a few games prior just points out how entertaining this league is and. For those who didn't watch the game itself, Gotham FC and OL Reign played each other. I'll give a little synopsis of the game. Lynn Williams opened up the scoring in the 24th minute for Gotham FC, kind of just capping off what's been an excellent season a, for a her. A classic type of goal for her, too. Exactly. It just, just a great work on the right side, and she's the late r- arriver in the box, makes no mistake with the finish. It just had the Gotham imprint all over it. I loved that goal. And she's so fast. That's, I think that's the thing that really sets her apart. She's yeah. good with the ball at her feet. She's also good with off-ball movement, finding open space. She's incredible. Roosevelt ties it up just five minutes later in the 29th minute. Great goal, too. And, I mean, this this game had it all. And Roosevelt's another just incredible player. She was phenomenal. This, like, look, if, if this game doesn't go Gotham's way, uh, we're not talking about it as the Midge Purse game. We're talking about as Roosevelt. Rose Lavelle's game. She took yeah. over for, for, for the rain. She was remarkable and that one save that Mandy Hot had to make it late in the second half oh my god that re- that move through the middle and then that ridiculous ball from Roosevelt like that was man, crazy. you got like people watch this sport watch these women they are so good like yeah. and this is the best I'm gonna go on record this is the best league in the world Esther Gonzalez said it after the game I'm, I'll stop there because she scored the next goal yes and I do want to after we go over the game itself I do want to talk about Esther's comments because mm-hmm. That really stuck out to me as just a, you know, just a sponsorship sign of like... It's a World Cup winner right there. International talent come to the NWSL. Mm -hmm. But anyways, Esther Gonzalez, as we mentioned, scored 45th minute in extra time, 45 or stoppage time, 45 plus two. Incredible header there off a set piece, which is 
you know, like I said, this game had it all. Incredible goals uh, from the actual play, great set pieces, and then there were, the second half would be scoreless, two to one. We kind of went over how that worked out with Mandy Hot getting that red card for coming out of her box, making a save outside of the box. It was very, very close. I under, I mean, it was you have to make a split second decision like that, and she was going. The the OL Rain player was going to score if she didn't do that, and it turned out to be fine. Um, not without me sweating a ton. Oh my god! But Roosevelt goes to take the kick. Gets goes off the wall right to my Tanya Lopez, who's another international talent Gotham's brought in this season. That's been absolutely incredible. Um, and the final score would sit at two to one. But there's one thing we haven't talked about yet, and that is what happened in the sixth minute of this game. We talk mm. all week Rough. about it's it's the final game between two legends, Ali Krieger. Megan Rapino, and we talk about how awful Megan Rapino's international career her maybe not her actual international career because she played a couple friendlies afterwards but as far as games that count her world cup finale send-off included her missing a kick in which they would end up losing to Sweden and you think it can't get worse than that well, I don't know if it's worse but it definitely contends she tears her Achilles in the sixth minute of this game and it almost hurts in in a, in a way. It almost hurts a lot worse than that World Cup because this is the last. This is the last we're going to see of Megan Rapinoe on a pitch, wearing an OL Rain uniform, wearing a soccer uniform, playing professional football. And it's I'm someone who's followed Megan Rapinoe since I was 12 years old. Like this was tough to take because of how much she's given to the game. You want to see her get a better send off than that. Yeah. There's there's not much more to say about about it because I think we're all in agreement here that she transcends the game of soccer. Yep. She is a rock star in this country, and to see her go down like that in her final game was so disappointing. Um, I'm still gonna say that the World Cup stings a little bit more because yeah, it's a penalty and it's <laughs> Megan Rapinoe, and never once are you thinking is Megan Rapinoe gonna miss a penalty. Injuries happen, um, and it's unfortunate. It, it's terrible that it happened, you know, within the first five minutes of the final game of her career in the in the, the cup match. But you can't you can't define a career by those moments. You have to look across, and I think back to 2019, she took over the world in 2019. I think back to 2015, World Cup champion, and 2011, uh, the assist to, to Abby Wamba. There's so many moments. She she is truly one of the greats, and a lot of that as we know, is from what she did off the field and being a spokesperson for good and trying to make social change. And she made a lot of enemies that way too, which is, I think you have to talk about a little bit because the disgusting comments directed towards Megan Rapinoe and about Megan Rapinoe um, by just about so many corners on the internet every time she pops up, um, those people just don't get it. They don't understand what it's like and they don't understand the weight of the just the way she is and and the way that she approaches herself to the game and the way that she has given herself to the game of football in this country. Like the, the steps that U S soccer has taken because of people like Megan Rapinoe, uh, you, you can't thank them enough. Um, we all love this game so much and we all foresee a future where, you know, we don't have to leave the United States to see world-class soccer and to appreciate this game at the highest level. And you can't do that without Megan Rapinoe. So and I think yeah. the biggest thing about what speaks to 
the hate Megan Rapino gets is that it's it's really never coming from women's soccer fans. <laughs> no, that, yeah. it's coming from people who don't watch soccer at all. Exactly, yeah. and that's the point. Is that if you're li- from the outside looking in and you just hear things from other people about things she's done, uh, it's definitely not. It's hard for me to gauge or rationalize with it, regardless. But if you're not a follower of the sport and you hear certain things that are untrue and then you just piggyback off of that, it's just like a perpetual like echo chamber of people just building on lies and lies and, and lies until uh, you've completely lost the plot of who crazy. she is. And the hate is so pointless because the lies are like, um, she doesn't want the men to get paid. Which like, is- what? Yeah, that's, makes sense. Uh, this makes her the, the worst athlete in the world, in your opinion? No, she's like a, a transcender. She's a trailblazer and she's everything you want in a public figure around sports. She is an inspiration and she's been a role model to so many children. Uh, I wouldn't just say young girls, uh, young boys as well, to literally everybody. People can look up to her and see an absolute hero and a rock star. And legitimate change has been made yeah. because of the things she's done. That's the biggest thing for me is that. You know, she left her imprint. Exactly. She fought her Legacy. whole career for equal pay. And she got to see it. Like she didn't get to play very much with it because of where she was at in her career. Mm-hmm. But the fact she got to see the work that she did actually materialize into something that actually happened is so cool. And I think just and really just shows the work that she and the whole team did, especially that twenty nineteen roster. It, it just you can't say enough about it. And I mean, yeah, the injury sucks, you know. Obviously, with earlier this year, her, like, World Cup run ended so Mm -hmm. dramatically. And then this happens, and it's not even just that, oh, she got injured in her last game. It's in a final, right? That's number one. Then three minutes in, she slips. It's not even a contact. It's not a foul. You just slip. That sucks again. San Diego turf sucks. Like, their their field is terrible. Like, they should never... Never host They're they're getting all... They have like I forget what the tournament called, but it's like the women's gold cup or something, something like that. It's something. like it's it's or an important tournament. Women's Concacaf championship was it? Probably. I have to. But Snapdragon it. Stadium is hosting that too. They're getting the NWSL finals. They're getting the next U.S. Women's National Team game, and they can't even take out the San Diego State Aztec logo on their field <laughs> yeah, it's during bad. a semifinal yeah, match or. Yeah, during this because they hosted the semifinals and the finals because mm-hmm. San Diego went to the semifinals. It's just, and they will be hosting the Concacaf Women's Gold Cup, the yep. the inaugural edition. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, like why? What if what has this stadium specifically done to warrant that? Other than the fans, and at some point you have to prioritize the athletes over because fans will come to most stadiums that are in an NWSL market. If they if, if it's at Red Bull Arena, fans would come. If it's at the the bonk in for Angel City fans will come. It's just so frustrating to see. In, in the last time Gotham FC played in that stadium, there were like two I can't remember if it's two or three, but there were several season-ending injuries on that field. And you see a non-contact injury from Megan Rapino here in this game. There's just so many things adding up that are just like, why is this stadium getting? so many high profile events well look i can i can speak from experience on non-contact <laughs> injuries on turf i had <laughs> right. two incredibly serious ones to each of my knees that have rendered me um very incapable of playing soccer at the level i used to which is terrible um and if i'm kind of grateful that it happened to me when i was 18 and, and 19 years old and not in my mid-30s uh in my final game ever so yeah. th- not only for the drama of it all but also for 
the physical complications that arise afterwards. Um, all that, yeah. yeah, that's going to be a lot harder, especially because she doesn't have a season to build up for right. next time. So personally, Megan, I, I feel for you. It <laughs> sucks. I know it's the worst. Um, but if, if I can just talk talking about turf in general, no one likes it. No, no, no I one. hate it. I no one I've likes just, it. I've had four non-contact knee dislocations on turf fields. Yeah, it's a lot. Like, it's a big number. And it's because of turf. That doesn't happen on natural grass. And you talk about how, or not you, but defenders of turf talk about how expensive it is to have grass. And it's like NFL officials, like people within the NFL saying that as if they don't have all the money in the world. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And it's, it'll have like a trickle down effect. I think this starts with the NFL changing those stadiums to all grass. I mean, they're a multi-billion dollar company. There's no way that they can't afford to treat grass in a stadium. The, there was like this weird attitude that I used to have about turf. Like when I was like 10 years old and I was like, it's so great that there's so many more turf fields that I can play in any weather and it mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Like the grass isn't going to be bad because most grass fields that you play on as a kid are bad. But then maturing is realizing, oh, they actually don't care about us if, if yeah. this is what the surface is it's that we're like going money. to play on. Um, and I think that that's a big problem. And it has been historically in women's soccer. The 2015 World Cup played entirely on turf. Um, that's disgusting. I don't know like why they ever make these rulings. It's they treat w the women's athletes like second-class citizens compared to men. But in many cases, we can treat all athletes like second-class citizens because you know, you're putting them to work. And yes, they're making lots of money in many cases, such as in the NFL. But you're making all the money and you're controlling it and yeah. you're putting them in conditions that are incredible. I mean, the NFL is its own beast in terms of putting their players in dangerous conditions. Uh, <laughs> no, literally, literally <laughs> the worst example of that in all of sports, I would say. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the discussion on turf it boils my blood from personal experience, as I've said, but also because it's a just blatant disregard for your athletes. Um, if I can peel it back to make it a, a bit of a, Happier note, something that I don't know if you got a chance to mention yet, but the U.S. women's national team hire uh, of head coach Emma Hayes is also being paid the same amount as the men's coach. And we can point to figures like Megan Rapinoe for making lasting change in U.S. soccer for that reason. Yeah. Um, quickly on the turf. We Sorry. saw like Aaron. Sorry for getting no, that's <laughs> tangential fine. there. There's just so many things to talk about. That's how exciting today is. Exactly. Big day, big day. No, but yeah, with the turf, we've seen so many people get injured. Aaron Rodgers earlier this year also was playing an artificial oh, yeah. bad, turf. Bad year to be an Achilles tendon. Yeah. I'll say oh. that much. You know, even like here, you guys getting injured with no contact on the turf. Mm -hmm. If you had a nickel for every time it happened around the table, six times, which isn't <laughs> a lot, but it's weird that it happens yeah, six, times. six times. Six times, yeah. yeah. And, but going back to Megan Rapino, it's rough because... Three minutes in, you don't really get to make an impact on the final. Right. And then your team doesn't even win. Because, like, I think of Ronaldo when he gets injured in the Euro final 2016. He got injured in the first half. But then his team won, so it's still he a great story. Around yeah. Him, yeah. They rallied around him. It was yeah. a story. But she didn't get this ending. And so it's a rough ending there in that regard. But as you guys have been mentioning, her impact off the field has been so much greater. And, yeah, World Cup winner and all that. But at the end of the day, the effects and change she has provoked off the field, it's going to be way more than just a statistic you'll see in a history book, like 2019 winner or whatever. Mm -hmm. She's going to be able to see that change live every day for the next couple of years, even through retirement. So hold your head up. There's a lot to be proud of with what you've done. And while this was the last we saw on the field, we for sure are right. going to see a lot, lot more off the field. And I think that's the thing that, 
you know, you never really see Megan Rapinoe respond to the hate that she gets because I like the stuff she's, she's done. Above is, it. She's she's so far above it. The stuff that she's done has such a direct impact and a real impact that you've seen results like real results from it, it. Like the haters who say these nasty things about her. It's just so baseless and factually incorrect, which makes it a lot easier to, to ignore. not ignore. Yeah. yeah, to not address it because it's so insane. And the people who actually follow the sport and know anything about what she represents is so fond of the work that she's done. So I think you you we talk about how Megan Rapino rises above that. It's pretty easy to when you've done as much as she has. But I do want to transition here. James, you briefly mentioned it, but man oh man, the United States women's national team officially brings in Chelsea manager Emma Hayes and I I am rarely ecstatic with the <laughs> United States Soccer Federation. Rarely, if ever. Never, I would say. This is the first time where they just home run, slam, grand slam out of the park. Incredible hire. We talked a lot about people we thought were going to be the next hires. Emma Hayes never crossed my mind because no. I never thought she was leaving Chelsea. I thought she, she's she been there since 2013. She is Chelsea. I didn't even think about it because I thought, you know, she U.S. Women's National Team job is a lot less sexy than it was four years ago. Oh, yeah. So I did not think Emma Hayes would want this job, but she gets it. She is the highest paid women's coach in the world. One point six million dollars. Same as a men's head coach. Get which, that bread. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I was looking I was on Instagram yesterday last night and I was like looking through there's a slide of like the men's coaches versus women's coaches in each country. And specifically England. It was like Serena Wagman makes like 400K and the men's head coach makes like 5 million. And I was like, what's happening here? But anyways, you're you're scrolling, you're scrolling, you're like defeated. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't. And then you get to USA and it's like they're equal. And it's so incredible because it's just, it's not even like, oh yay, feminism. It's like, okay, this is deserved and it's finally happening. And that's such a cool feeling as a fan of women's soccer. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm so thrilled with Emma Hayes. She's such she's such a good coach, and she's exactly what this team needs because her emphasis on development, along like looking at the short game and the long game and being good at both at the same time is what I think she is best at, and it's exactly what this team needs heading into a transitionary period. Yeah, and you know it's a transitionary period for Emma Hayes too because she's leaving club football for the first time in her career, mm-hmm. which is something that she, you know, briefly. Um, said she was interested in and then right shortly after <laughs> a game reported that it was the US that was was courting her for the position and for obvious reasons you know she won back to back to back uh, uh, FA Women's Soccer League Manager of the Season Awards <laughs> between 2019 and 2021 I believe I might have the years wrong there but I know she won three in a row that's yep. not an easy thing to do all right yep. um, I talked about Esther saying that the NWSL is the best league in the world Um Tactically, I think that the women's Super League is 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 ahead. It may not be the most exciting, and it may not be the best quality, but I think tactically they do things across the pond that and specifically they don't. Chelsea too. Yes, that yeah. they that the NWL can't mirror. And Emma Hayes, in that regard, is kind of leading the charge, bearing the torch. She deserves to be the highest paid women's coach in the world for sure. There's no there's no argument to that. And the U.S. being the cream of the crop in international football. Um, did the right thing and bringing her over, 
I'm still surprised by that because while she does have ties in the U.S. before working with uh, Chicago Red Stars, Iona. Western New York Flash, and the not, Iona Gales, not very far which is from crazy, here. <laughs> crazy to <laughs> doing, think doing about. Doing my research, I was like, what? Small I know, world. I know, Iona, man. that is yeah. so random. She was coaching in, in the MAC, I guess, and now we'll be <laughs> yeah. coaching. I mean, like that's not new for U.S. soccer, by the way. I don't know if you know this, but the winningest coach in men's history, Bruce Arena, was also a lacrosse coach at the University of Virginia before he became the winningest men's coach of all time. Look it up. Wow. Look it up. He was Some also the Ted Lasso type of story. Yeah. <laughs> he was the soccer coach too, but he also coached lax in college, Love it. and then you know brought the U.S. to the quarterfinals in 2002. Anyway, Emma Hayes has a bit of a better soccer background ahead <laughs> of her than than Bruce Arena did in his college coaching days, but. This is quite literally, you've got the, the, the best coach in the world, I think, at least oh, the yeah. high, most highly respected in Europe. And you bring it in for what should be the greatest talent pool in the world. It's a match made in heaven. Go get the results. Yeah. Not even three seasons in a row, but four league victories in a row. Like doing that is insane by any standard. Winning the league four times in a row, ridiculous. And yeah, you were mentioning like, the other coach, like, she already brings so much more experience, not just from that, but compared to Andonovsky, the previous coach. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. she is someone who knows what Trigger it takes. Trigger warning on that name now. <laughs> <laughs> no, she is someone who knows what it takes to win. And that is what this team needs. They see they need someone, a coach that has that same winning mentality and knows what it takes. And going back to the, the trigger warning guy, uh, <laughs> when we were Thank discussing the, the World Cup, I remember FUVFC with uh, James and Nick over the summer, we were criticizing all his tactical decisions during the World Cup, like the formations are wrong, no subs. Well, guess what? Emma Hayes is known for like being really, really great at tactical changes, both during the season, during the middle of the game. So that just presenting something actually good for the team that she might... Late talent was never in doubt, but actually mixing it with good tactics now, it's going to be a huge game changer. And the thing is, is that... What this team needs, and it's so niche and specific, but Emma Hayes knows how to take a team to the step. The oh my gosh, Emma Hayes knows how to take a team to the top and stay there, and that's what the U.S. needs. This is a U.S. team that has the talent to be at the top right now and be there for a while. And Emma Hayes already has experience keeping a good team good on the record, on record wise too, because they have you know Sam Kerr, Mia Official, you know they have all the talent in the world at Chelsea. It's one thing to have the talent. It's another thing to convert that into wins. And she is perfected being able to take a talented roster and use them for their talents exactly how it's needed in order for a team to win. And it's so specific and just so right for the United States. And she she loves the U.S. She said before (laughs) that the U.S. does it right. And so just top to bottom, it's like, yeah, like Laura Harvey, I'm sure would have been great. But there's not a better coach in the world of women's soccer besides Serena Wagman. That's not Emma Hayes. And, and she's not just a coach. She, she directed football operations at the Chicago Red Stars. She, she built Chelsea's women's program from the ground up and turned them into the, the cream of the crop in England. And she's won that league six times, has won uh, the manager of the year six times, best FIFA coach, I believe, in 2021, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. This this is it's it's not just tactics that that the U.S. will be improving on. Is this is a cultural upshift that the likes of which has not been seen in the U.S. because they haven't really needed it. You know, there's they're one of five different countries that have won a women's World Cup and they've won four of them. They've never needed to take a look back at this at this program uh, and say we need to re- do an upheaval from the ground up. 
You could make an argument that they did that in the early 2000s, sort of. But that was before this booming of women's soccer that we've mm-hmm. now seen in the past, um, I would say, 10 years. And, 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 and in this country, specifically the last eight years in which they succeeded at the World Cup. Now they have no excuse and they, they're going to have one of the brightest minds in all of football um, putting together not only just a tactical system of efficiency, but a cultural system of efficiency um, that should excite any soccer fan in this country. Is it too late, though? You said, yeah, finally the program's making a change, but they shouldn't have waited for disaster to strike. I, for it I to agree. Happen. I mean, we've, we've talked about it for months. And, of course they shouldn't have. And, and you can look back even further to times when the U.S. were successful and you could notice changes. Like I, I bloviated all about academies versus college mm-hmm. development specifically. Um, but you can see like the changes were starting in, in the early 2010s in women's football in Europe, uh, getting younger, uh, younger women playing the game together in high, uh, high difficulty scenarios, playing at academies, and the infrastructure has been booming ever since. And the U.S. fell behind. This type of hire says we're going to catch up and we're going to go ahead of you and we're going to stay ahead of you. This is this is absolutely the best case scenario hire. And it's like you said, Julia, is one we didn't even cross our minds. Exactly. It was like too good for us to think. Yeah. But there is one catch with it that I want to talk about. And that is when she is going to start coaching. Like, sure. Yeah. Sure. She can come in and watch trainings during international breaks, but she is not going to be a coach of this team until about two months before the Olympics start. So it really seems like the USSF is playing the long game here. Just, you know, try our best in the Olympics expectations. It doesn't really matter how we perform, which for fans sucks, but I want to hear you guys' thoughts on this mentality altogether. I, I, I firmly believe the world cup is King. And if Fair. you can go ahead and, win the Olympics or go ahead and medal in the Olympics as the U.S. should still expect to do regardless of their status with their coach and whatnot. You can always take the tournament and and see it as sort of a measuring stick of where they are compared to the rest of the world because they didn't really have a great opportunity of doing that in the World Cup. They only played four matches. Um, It didn't help that they had to draw Sweden in that round of 16 game, but they kind of shot themselves in the foot by not topping the group. So... They have a really good opportunity in the, that Olympics to see where they're at compared to the rest of the world. And I think if there's one bit of motivation that any of the players need, here's the new manager, here's a big, big tournament on the world stage, everyone's watching. If we make a good impression now, I can be in good graces ahead of the 2027 World Cup. Uh, and I think that the U.S. will come out firing on off all cylinders. I know I said that. In the World Cup, too. Maybe that was a bit more wishful thinking. Yeah, but. predicting the 9-0 win against Vietnam. Hey, look. <laughs> that was look, a fun one. I had to. Every specific player. I would do it. I would <laughs> yes. do it again. I would do it again. I would pick out the specific players because I'm going to back my team because I know what they're capable of. And now that we have a manager in charge that isn't Flacco Andonovsky, sorry, mm. <laughs> I think that I have a little more... Uh, I have a little more... Um, Basis for your faith. Yeah, a little more legs to my argument. Yeah, now it's there's some foundation behind it. Sure, so, um, foundation. And yeah, the expectations for the Olympics shouldn't be that high. She'll only have like four games before the Olympics like That's... to actually take over. It's nothing. And of course, she'll probably like be doing stuff behind the scenes, getting to know the team, whatever. But still, it's not a lot of time. But at the end of the day, like the priority isn't that. It is a long-term project. You look at the contract even. It goes until the next World Cup. So that is the goal, clearly. And that's where all the focus should be on. 
we were saying it all throughout the summer. It's a period of transition. And now, finally, they're fully committing to this transition by bringing in a new coach. And I think it can only be good for the team. But the question I asked earlier, is it a little too late? Not not what, only a critique about how long it took to replace he who shall not be named. But <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Voldemort. But, yeah, Voldemort type here. But um, also, with the other countries now catching up, because it's not just like, oh, they finally caught up. It's they're the doing, way they're yeah. bringing up their youngsters. It's entirely different. It's completely restructured. And that's why we saw Spain like win the under-17 and under-20 World Cup. And, and you were on top of that, man. Yeah, and that's you why... You were on top of that from the beginning. That's why them winning the, the major one made sense because they've been bringing up that new generation to win. We haven't seen that from the U.S. So, yeah, the new coach is going to be great, but is the talent, like, is scouting from colleges going to be enough if they want to stay at the top in the future? I don't know. And I, sorry, real quick, I think it's good that we're starting to see the influx of academies in the women's game in this country too Mm -hmm. because college isn't the only path anymore. And it's still a terrific path in women's soccer. Uh, You could point to so many players, even internationally, who played in American colleges and are still killing it on the world stage. So we don't have to abandon the system just yet, but we do have to do got to start playing catch up. Yeah. Well, and I think another thing, a couple points. One, I think the money that they're giving Emma Hayes kind of shows that they're just giving the keys to Emma Hayes to do what she wants. And I think if she wants a full overhaul of the way development goes i think she has the power to kind of spearhead that oh yeah and and she's the mind you want in charge of that exactly like the confidence i have in whatever she decides to do next is something i have not felt since the jill scott times um but it's just nice to know that the future of this team after what we went through and in it's important to note that the reason we were able to get Emma Hayes is because of how good we were in 2015 and 2019, because that's what makes this job so sought after and in such a powerful position to be in. Something else Emma Hayes does that specifically Vladko and Anotsky did terribly is the communication aspect of it. Because, James, I think we talked about this a little bit before, but it's there were players coming out of the World Cup saying, yeah. I have no idea what my jo- my ro- my job, oh my God, role and job, were during the World Cup. That's the biggest stage. That should be the, that should be the place of all places where you are fully, everyone on the team fully knows what their job is to do yeah. on the field. Like Savannah DeMello had no idea why she was even started, starting. She didn't know she was starting in that first World Cup game against Vietnam until a couple of days before. And the whole situation is so absurd. Vladko told her, practicing the starters today and she said why and that's when he decided to say oh because you're starting against vietnam (laughs) what like what is what is happening here um so the fact that there are players like sam kerr who have come out and said specifically that she is a great coach because of her transparency and her communication (laughs) is such like this is just such a good hire it's the type of coach you want to play for as a player you know uh, we we talked uh whether it was last week two weeks ago about um, not knowing your role in the team and how daunting that can be and how stressful and, you know, you, you second-guess yourself and, and that becomes a big problem when you're playing in a group of such a large... Like, soccer is a game of 11 people and you have to know your role and you have to be able to play into a team system in order to be successful. It doesn't matter how talented you are individually. If you're not doing that, you're going to be slowing down the ship. So 
to to be able to put players to confidently put players in positions where you're not fully transparent with them to me is is shockingly bad man uh <laughs> coaching um but to have the exact opposite of that coming in is incredible sign of encouragement yeah and not just the not being transparent with players but not being transparent with this caliber of players like the best in the world yeah who like know where like there should be at it's, it's like he took the job for granted yeah for me it reminds me of Manchester United in the men's side, <laughs> Ten Hag, who I critique a lot because he had this so. big profile names and he's like, oh yeah, I, I still respect you. You're still going to be starters. And then he just benches them or removes them from mm-hmm. being captain. So if you do that with the big profile names, it's not going to sit well. So you just got to be straight up with them. And, you know, they're probably just going to be fine with it as long as you're honest. And that's something that Emma Hayes is going to bring in that the previous coach didn't bring in. So it, it's going to be about time Uh, yeah it's it's about time and this is the last eventually i have to move on this is the last time i'll complain (laughs) about the world cup but something that's so unique about the world cup as opposed to every single other sportings made of men is that it happens once every four years and when you think about the the way a soccer player's career usually goes you typically get one world cup in your prime maybe two yeah so every world cup you a manager is handling the biggest tournament of pretty much the entire team's careers. The biggest tournament they'll ever play, and especially those ones in their prime. And it really felt like Vlatko Anonofsky just kind of phoned it in and didn't take it as seriously as he should have. And players like Trinity Rodman are going to reach their peak for this next World Cup. But players like Alex Morgan, that was, I mean, if she makes it to the next World Cup, okay but she's going to be like Megan Rapinoe she's not going to play a lot Mm -hmm. and she's going to be there more as just a leader rather than an actual player like you wasted and Lindsay Horan is another good example where is she going to be in four years like she's in her prime right now but she's what 29 Mm -hmm. you think of Lynn Williams 30 Christy Mewis 31 Rose Rose Lavelle these are all players who this world cup was supposed to be their prime year their prime cycle and now you look four years from now and maybe they'll be at a good level, but they won't be at the level they were four years prior. And Vlad Kuninovsky just ruined that experience for them. And I think, look, while we spent a lot of time talking about Gotham and, and their achievements and for good reason, I think back to what Christy Mewis said on that, I forget which podcast it oh, was. Snacks. Yes, when she was talking about just like the relief she felt when she made the team because she thought if, if, I, if I don't make this World Cup team, my career will feel unfulfilled. Exactly. This is yeah. the moment of these people's careers and it's especially compounded in the women's game where, like we said, it, there's not enough attention on Gotham. We talked about, you know, how the women kind of wait every four years to get that attention that the men can... Exactly. Even, even in the US, MLS gets more attention than the NWSL and it's not as uh, much of a you know, career altering moment, of course, it's still massive, but we have to take this opportunity to look at for what it is. And you have to be kind of human about it and say that these people are working their entire lives for this moment. And if you're not giving them the tools to succeed, they won't be successful. And this is there also, I mean, you think about the, the play aspect of it, but you bring up a really good point about the attention. This is their one chance to be a part of the narrative surrounding women's soccer for the next four years. And that narrative has now switched from casual fans who don't actually watch women's soccer. Oh, the U.S. women's national team is washed. They suck. They're done. Which is so far from the truth. But if you're watching from an outside perspective, that narrative is not going to change until they prove it wrong in that next World Cup. But 
you know, these are the players are the ones who are really hurting the most from that narrative being thrown around. And for the big reason for them to have fallen so flat in that World Cup to be actually the coaching staff, it's so backwards and it's just so unfair to the players, in my opinion. Yeah, and it sucks because if you actually watch the games, you knew the talent was there, exactly. especially when you watch the Sweden game. Yeah, it was so disappointing, not because they lost in penalties, that and because game was like toe to toe. Yeah, not even because oh they lost in penalties or oh the ball even barely crossed the line in the penalty. Ugh. But it's just the fact that where has this USA team been the whole tournament? Why did it only show up in the do or die game? It's because they stopped like, listening to Vlad Kodanovsky. They said it after. Yes, exactly. So, and that's the disappointing part where, like, the, if you watch the game, you know the narrative is that it's not the players' fault. But sadly, for most of the media, it is going to be on the players a lot of the times. And since it's only, you can only prove it at the World Cup, that's the story that's going to be following them. For four years. You don't get a chance to prove the world wrong until four years. And for some of those players, they don't get that chance. They retire, they're gone. That's how their careers ended, like Rapino. And so it it sucks, but hopefully this new generation, there's a lot of good youngsters. I'm confident. Yeah, there's a lot of good youngsters. So the future is bright. I don't think it'll be insanely easy just because Sweden, Spain, and all of them are really good. The rest of the world is beefed up, man. (laughs) Yeah, But it, it should definitely be better than a round of 16 finish. 100%. And one last thing I want to say quickly before we wrap up. Memphis women's soccer. <laughs> what a transition. I mentioned it a couple <laughs> weeks ago with James when, when we had our one-on-one all-in. But the round of 16 found they beat third-ranked Notre Dame 3-2 today. I didn't get to watch it, but I just want another shout-out. We've been slowly barely following on the on the the show but it's been kind of like a background narrative and i want to shout out memphis women's soccer one more time because you know universities like that typically don't get acknowledged for their soccer abilities you think of usc ucla uc or i mean the california teams i guess i mean good lord duke (laughs) north carolina but memphis women's soccer might be etching their name a little bit in that Second straight Sweet 16, two straight American Athletic Conference championships. Go Memphis women's soccer. I'm but, proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I was like, <laughs> are you going to do you have something to say about this? Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, the men are on a run, too. Also, like, equally shocking. Like, no, no. Memphis idea. men's soccer? Yes. <laughs> Wait, why are we talking about Memphis? Is anyone here? Like, care- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, I get They beat SIU. You scared me. I was like, dude, she's going to kill you. <laughs> that was the point. <laughs> shout, out, shout out Memphis. It's a great day to be a to soccer be fan in Memphis, specifically University of Memphis. Shout out them. But that is going to do it for this week's edition of All In. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week for another edition of All In. All In, production of WFUV Sports. <laughs> <laughs>